welcome to the Eco Startups podcast, focusing on sustainable businesses, eco-conscious founders, and impact investment. Today, we speak to Portia Hart, founder of Blue Apple Beach and standard bearer for regenerative travel, a community of independently owned boutique hotels dedicated to creating positive social and environmental impact. Portia is an entrepreneur and expert in hospitality and emerging markets, specifically Latin America. In a very short space of time, since 2015, she has founded two boutique hotels, three beach clubs, two bars, and a not-for-profit foundation in Cartagena, Colombia. We touch upon the sustainable versus regenerative travel, hospitality regenerative standards, and how we as travelers can be more conscious of our impact and what that really means. Let's get going and welcome Portia. Welcome, Portia. Thank you for joining us today on World Tourism Day as we discuss the concept of regenerative travel and hospitality. I know you are a very busy lady. You've been traveling a lot as well lately. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I'm honestly just really grateful and endlessly surprised um, if people are interested in hearing my story. So thank you also for the platform and uh, for the interest and in, in giving those of us who run really small businesses a chance to talk about some of the things that we do. Well, it's a pleasure. And actually, it's always inspiring to me, especially when it comes to uh, hospitality and travel, because that's also partly my background, uh, hotel management, maybe not more the operations, but more the admin side. So I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs such as yourself who have the courage to go ahead and start their own business, especially in, in the hotel hospitality industry. So uh, I would love to cover lots of topics today, specifically your journey as an entrepreneur, uh, but also the many different facets of regenerative tourism. Uh, but before we delve in, perhaps you could tell us a bit more about yourself and what your very interesting life journey has been like so far. <laughs> well, I think you're probably more qualified than I am to do what I do. Um, I, I don't have a background in hospitality management. Um, I'm British, which uh, the accent I think is probably a giveaway, uh, but my mother is from Trinidad and Tobago, so I carried dual nationality. Um, and I spent the first 22 years of my life um, living and studying in the UK, and that was quite enough. Um, the summer, I think, of 2007, I was living in London, freshly graduated, living in an underground flat, taking an underground train to go and work in an office with no windows, doing something that was completely meaningless. And it rained that summer every single weekend. Um, and I lived with a girlfriend who worked at Prada and earned even less money than I did. And after paying her rent, I think she was already at a loss every month. And we said, you know, this just can't be what life is. And anyone that accepts it is crazy. And I sent out my CV to anywhere where the sun shone. That was actually the only criteria that I had. Um, much to my father's chagrin, I think, <clears throat> having spent as much time and money as we had on an education, you know, all the way up until degree level. And I ended up working as a personal assistant for a, a yacht broker in Monaco, which um, was not where I expected my life to lead me. I thought I'd go there for uh, a year. Um, and in the end, I went there and actually my flatmate came as well and ended up working for the same company. So we went out together. I stayed there for eight years. During that time, the company I was working for listed on the stock exchange. 
and I was part of that process. We then delisted and I was part of that process. Um, I began as a personal assistant and I ended as the COO. So it was a real roller coaster um, of an experience, not what I was expecting, but I hit 30 and had this kind of niggling sensation that if you spend your entire life in Monaco, um, you lead a very privileged, but a very blinkered life. They call it the golden prison. And I felt that I ought to sort of try and escape it. And friends of friends and kind of life connections led me to Colombia, where I arrived, not speaking any Spanish and not really having much of an idea what I was going to do. But I thought, well, I'll take a year um, and I'll learn Spanish and I'll see what comes up. And that was seven years ago. So I suppose I'm de definitely fall into the trap of thinking everything is going to be a year and it always ends up being seven or eight. Uh, but I arrived in Cartagena and fell in love with the city. Um, it's a UNESCO heritage site. So it's really an architectural wonder. Um, and it's located on a beach in the Caribbean. Um, what more is there as far as I was concerned? And I think my inner Trinidadian kicked in at that point and said, you're not leaving. And I opened uh, because... I didn't find what I was looking for. I, I opened a, a beach club, which was really inspired by my years in the Mediterranean. And I'm very honest about my motive. And I think um, that that's something that maybe you don't hear enough of in the kind of eco travel world. I wasn't a, a, an eco hospitality specialist. I didn't arrive in Colombia with a deep understanding of, of the concept of sense of place. Um, I wasn't honouring local cultures and traditions. I actually was doing the exact opposite. I arrived and I said, well, I really want to drink rosé on the beach and listen to nice music and I can't find somewhere to do it. So that's what I'm going to build. Um, and the last seven years, I think, have been a real journey for me, an education in learning how to appreciate and honour somewhere where you are, but also how not to get lost in that. And I think we've seen a surprising outcome of of the COVID-19 crisis on hospitality in our city, our businesses are still going and have been patronized almost entirely by Colombian people. And I have Colombian clients who say, we love what you do because for us, it's a chance of going to the Mediterranean without buying a ticket all the way there. And I think I've seen what happens when you perhaps accidentally ignore a tradition or a local culture, but in doing so, you actually offer something to local people, which they haven't been offered for a long time. Um, and so I've seen sort of both sides of, of coming in as a foreigner and maybe imposing your ideas of what works, but actually seeing when that can be an unexpected benefit. So, yes, I now run uh, Blue Apple Beach House, which is a 10 bedroom boutique hotel and beach club on the island of Tierra Bomba, which is half an hour outside of Cartagena. Um, I also um, have Townhouse, which is in the city of Cartagena. It's a 10 bedroom hotel with a rooftop bar and um, a basement jazz bar. We have Cartagena's only jazz band. There's me not sticking to local culture and tradition again. Um, and then most recently I've opened a little beach club called Amare, which is um, something offered really to local people. It's uh, much more affordable than both Blue Apple and Townhouse. I wanted to make a business which fell within the means of most local people and not just something that was focused on overseas tourism dollars. Um, and then in addition to the three businesses, I have um, a small nonprofit called Green Apple, which we opened in 2018. And Green Apple is all about creating jobs through the management of waste that's produced by the hospitality industry. So primarily food waste and glass waste, which are the two heaviest items that most of us hospitality businesses are throwing away and also aren't generally 
uh, recycled or processed because they're expensive and low value. And so we run a little glass recycling center uh, and a composting uh, operation and um, a training school for artisans learning how to turn glass bottles into souvenirs. Uh, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Not that much of a nutshell, it's quite long. Um, fingers in lots of pies and making it up as I go along. Um, and my journey to regenerative and sustainable hospitality has been um, accidental and is very much still underway. Yeah, well, it sounds like an amazing journey, um, something that I would only dream to be able to do. And actually, it's something when I was a child, I always thought, oh, I'll open my own boutique hotel, but I never had the courage to do it, nor because I know, I know how much work it takes. I know how many hours, I mean, just working in hospitality itself is long hours. Um, so honestly, hats off to you. I don't know how you do it. Um, you've literally just in a short space of time, because when did you move to Colombia in 2015? Yeah, so January 2015, yeah, was when I got my first visa. So literally, what, six, seven years now, six years, and you've managed to open two boutique hotels, three beach clubs, two bars, <laughs> and a non-profit a foundation. I just, I do. where do you find the time? Literally, I have no idea. Well, I have a really good, so I have two American business partners, <clears throat> one new Spanish business partner in my latest business, but actually mostly just a really, really good team of people um, and a lot of goodwill. And I think had I studied and had I known what I was getting myself into before I started, I probably wouldn't have started. Um, and there must be lots of entrepreneurs that, that say that it's looking before you leap, which is not our strong point. I think entrepreneurs have a tendency to leap before they look, but you never know when you might fly. So, but, but yes, I mean, I, I do work hard, but I work hard alongside an army of, of people who work as hard as I do um, and sadly can't all be on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> But they've all got lots of exciting things to say. <laughs> I'm sure they do. But actually speaking, since we're talking about the army of people and your team, let me just quickly step backwards a second, because we're going to touch on this when we look at the concept of regeneration and community and team members and how you choose your team in particular. So before we delve into that, perhaps for the audience who is not really au fait with the whole concept of regenerative travel and hospitality um you know we've heard the terms ecotourism in the past you, that kind of developed into the whole idea of sustainable tourism and you know sometimes i personally believe that's being overused but now there is this emergence i suppose of regeneration not just in travel and agriculture and other fields and sectors as well so how would you define the evolution of these terms and what What exactly is the difference? Um, I, I don't really feel qualified to answer this uh, from an academic standpoint. I always feel a bit nervous about um, definitions because, of course, I'm not an expert. But what I can do is kind of talk about my interpretation of them and, and how each one has affected uh, me as a business person. And I think ecotourism, you know, when I opened Blue Apple in 2016, And someone said to me, is it going to be an eco hotel? My first reaction was absolutely not. I've got no idea how to run an eco hotel. I think it would be really expensive. I don't really understand anything about solar panel. 
uh, eco certifications. I looked into them for about a minute and a half and then ran away screaming. I think eco tourism had two connotations when I opened as a, as a you know, and as a traveler that my interpretation was always, it's either a really lame place where they just want to cut costs and not do laundry and not have air conditioning and make it as cheap as possible and then tell you that it's them being environmentally responsible. Or it's something that's really well done, but it's just beyond my means as a hotelier because... I'm struggling to just get this place up and running and, you know, get bums on seats and heads in beds and my staff uniformed in the right place at the right time. And I felt like uh, this term eco meant jumping through a lot of hoops and it meant meeting a lot of criteria, measuring a lot of things that I didn't feel that I had the manpower to measure. Um, Sustainable was a kind of softer, friendlier term because I think it, for me, was a step away from certification Mm -hmm. and it was more about the considerate conscious way of operating but like you I felt that this was a a word that you just heard everywhere like this is a sustainable dress and this is a sustainable hotel and this is a sustainable tomato and I also had this kind of slight hesitation about the concept of something being sustainable because of course to sustain means literally to keep something going as it is and I felt feel still um, that the world as it stands and I don't mean climate change specifically actually I also refer to kind of social inequality unequal wealth distribution, the, the, the huge difference I see in the quality of life of the people I know in the UK versus the people I work alongside in Tierra Bomba. And I would say, I don't want to sustain this. This is crap, if you excuse my French. Um, this doesn't need sustaining. This needs a total radical overhaul and, and a restructuring. And I came across the term regenerative and um, it took me about two months to be able to say it. Uh, and then <laughs> once I'd learned that, I think what regenerative gives us not only as business owners, but also as travelers and consumers and kind of humans is this really nice and easy to visualize concept of having a positive impact and uh, making a contribution. Um, So when I think about something that regenerates or is being regenerated, I think about a community which is able to stand on its own two feet. It's not relying on aid. Um, I think about uh, businesses which produce profit for their shareholders, but which also produce opportunity for their staff. Um, I think about ecosystems, you know, that quite literally regenerate where nature bursts through. One of the most romantic holidays I was ever taken on by an ex-boyfriend was a weekend in Chernobyl. Um, And it was 25 years after the reactor had exploded. And what struck me more than anything else was that nature was pushing through the concrete um, of everything that we saw. And when I think about regeneration, I I think to myself, okay, how can I make sure that my business or my existence or my holiday if I'm traveling or this purchase is having a positive impact Um, and that takes me out of the climate bubble it takes me away from carbon footprints it takes me away from feeling guilty and and chastising myself and it leads me towards whole systems thinking uh, and it leads me towards um, thinking positively as well and I think if we want to stand a chance of, of kind of turning things around and creating, you know, a more beautiful society and, and a more robust ecosystem. Thinking positively is more helpful than feeling guilty. And so that for me is, is why I like the word regeneration and why I like the concept of regenerative travel, because I can say, cool, well, I'm going on a holiday 
And I know that X percent of the money is going to stay in this local community. And I know that tourism means this to this community. And as a result, this many people are going to go to school or going to have opportunities to go to university. I know that the people working in the hotel I'm staying at are employed comfortably. They have benefits. I know that they're being taken care of in terms of having their pension paid by their employer. I know that environmentally, the place where I'm staying or, or the products that I'm eating have been produced consciously and that there is an overall, I suppose, sense of responsibility uh, going into everything that I'm experiencing. And that makes me feel that I can travel, you know, kind of a bit more guilt free. And even though I know I maybe took an aeroplane and that has a negative consequence, I can think, well, I did take an aeroplane, but then I went and I spent a thousand pounds in this community and that thousand pounds actually enabled social equality um, to, to move 1% further forward uh, for people who otherwise might be trapped in a cycle of poverty. So I guess regeneration for me means being able to think about community, society, environment, everything as it dovetails together. Yeah, yeah. more than eco and, and sustainable. Well, I think that was extremely well put for someone who thinks she's not an expert in it. So <laughs> thank you for that clarification. Um, but so touching, going deeper now into regeneration and regenerative travel, I know that you and Blue Apple Beach in particular are uh, part of a community, is that right, of eco resorts called regenerative travel. Uh, I keep referring it to it as an organization, but perhaps it's just a, a booking agency of sorts. Um, you can clarify that for me. And I know that it more or less it vets its members based on specific metrics, such as carbon usage. And you just touched on a whole bunch of uh, aspects that involve regeneration within the resorts, tourism industry, sourcing local foods, food waste, uh, recycling, can go on employee well-being, which you touched on and, and your team members. So how did you come to, because I know that your role within that community is as standard bearer, um, how did you come to get more involved within this community? How did you meet? How did that relationship come about? So I was at a travel conference and um, I was in a, a, a seminar. I mean, a, one of those little breakout rooms and we were talking about sustainable travel. And I went um, to sit and listen, actually, because that was well before uh, even thinking that we might one day be anything like a sustainable hotel. And one of the men in the session put up his hand and he said, you know, can sustainable ever be luxury? Because I really don't think it can be. And, you know, it's all about basically taking luxuries away. And my clients, you know, they won't stay in a hotel that doesn't have air conditioning and they won't drink water from the tap. And, you know, he went into kind of all these reasons as to, as to why sustainability just was not compatible with luxury travel. And I ended up paying attention to, you know, a man that had quite a good rebuttal and, and was able to say, well, I run, a, you know, I run a hotel and it's very luxurious and we're also a carbon neutral and we're off grid and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I said, I talked a little bit about our glass recycling program. And, you know, I said, sometimes I think it doesn't mean stripping all the luxuries out of the bedrooms. It can mean a hotel uh, doing something that is positive in the context of its existence. Um, so in our case, we still have air conditioning and I know that that's bad, but we recycle all of our glass and the glass of several other businesses. And I think that that's good. And we should be able to talk about that um, and not feel worried that the only thing that will happen is we'll get told off for having air conditioning. And the chap came and spoke to me afterwards and he was the founder of Regenerative Travel. And he said, you know, I'd like you to join. And I laughed, I think, and spat out my canopy 
because I was like, no, 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 no. But did you not hear the bit where I said we have air conditioning and <laughs> we get to work on a boat and we don't measure anything and we're just just definitely not members of regenerative travel. I mean, there's just no way we qualify to join your network. And he kind of we went back and forth over a, a few months and he, you know, really insisted and he said, the fact that you don't think that you qualify for me means that you qualify. Um, because my organization and, and regenerative travel is a company, it's a for-profit and it is an agency, um, but also has, has kind of taken on kind of a think tank role. Um, they now organize a summit every year to bring together kind of thought leaders in sustainability and climate change and social equality. Um, so it's a bit of a bit of a coverall organization. And he said, you know, we we are all about making this positive and we're all about enabling small businesses to focus on what they're doing well and to learn where they can improve. And I think that you would be a good member. And when I joined, basically, he said, now I'd like you to come up with the criteria by which other hotels can join, because you said you didn't qualify. So now could you please define what it means to qualify? And I think he asked me because I was so unqualified for that position. So he knew I'd take it really seriously. And I went and looked at pretty much every eco certification standard that I could find. And I read donor economics and I started going through the B Corps certification process because I just wanted to understand how can you define a business as being regenerative? And I came up with a series of 30 metrics for regenerative travel. Um, this is to enable hotels to measure their impact. And how it's different, I think, from certification programs is that our metrics do not set any minimum or target. We just ask properties to measure them. And we say to the property, what we ask from you is to compete against yourself. So if you used 15,000 megawatts of dirty energy this month, how can you reduce that or how can you shift it to cleaner energy next month? And it's all about really knowing where you are on the journey rather than achieving a certification and then stopping there, which is what I felt is the kind of old fashioned academic way of doing things. It's like, well, I need 80% to get an A, so I'm going to get 81% and then I'm going to sit comfortably with my A. And what I wanted was to create a set of criteria which would inspire and encourage hotels to consistently improve. So there is actually no certification in our system. And the metrics range from the usual, which is wastewater and the ones you always hear about wastewater and energy. But we also have quite a few metrics that are based on the social side of things, because that was in my research, something that I found to really be lacking, you know, and I'll give a, a quick example, metrics measuring gender equality. I didn't find a single certification system that had more options than male and female. And I think in the modern context, <laughs> of the world, nobody would stand up now and say, you know, I've got women, so that makes me gender diverse. Yeah. You know, gender is a more complex, uh, it's a more complex condition. Um, I didn't find any travel certification metrics that were looking at the different abilities. The issue of race and ethnicity was almost completely ignored because so much the travel industry finds it awkward and uncomfortable to talk about. And I've had so many conversations since launching these metrics about why I chose to use the phrase non-white, non-male uh, to describe everybody who is not a white man and why I'm vilifying the white man. And I've had to explain that I'm, I'm not. I love the white man. Yay. He can continue <laughs> to exist in peace. 
Um, but I was trying to explain that generally markers in the world for humans, if you are not white and you are not male, uh, you tend to immediately be dealing with some form of discrimination or different treatment at some point. Now, I could also include non-able-bodied in that because that, that's another very obvious um, physical marker, uh, although not all physical disabilities are, are immediately apparent. And I think that was a really difficult thing for a lot of people to stomach. And it was certainly difficult for a lot of our white men to, to, to understand that through no fault of their own, they had been going about the world and had never been asked to use a side entrance because of the colour of their skin. Now, it raised lots of questions about class and education and all the other things that can hold us back or push us forward. But we really have tried to focus on what is universal across all cultures, across all nations um, and across all social classes. And, and it did come down to that. And, and we found that there was no one else having this conversation and there was no one else measuring it. So we said, right, well, we'll stick that one in. Um, and we also talk about distribution. And this was something that I also found was ignored because of course, if you live and work in a, uh, a typical capitalist society, you know, profit is a good thing. And I am a capitalist and I do think profit is a good thing, but it wasn't until I came to B Corps that I really found um, very interesting conversations and questions being asked about where those profits were going mm -hmm. and who they're profiting and who's benefiting from them. And so we decided to stick that in as well and talk about the distribution of, of revenues and the distribution of the money that flows through a business. And so I think what we haven't done is made a certification. Uh, I don't say that if somebody measures all the criteria and all the metrics that regenerative that they are running a perfect hotel but i think what we have achieved is a set of criteria that enables a hotelier to think deeply about the impacts of of their business interesting so i'm going to touch on a few things you mentioned there but particularly your role as standard bearer because for me when it comes to startups and entrepreneurs, what I love most is innovation. But what some people don't really sometimes, I suppose, consider is the aspect of entrepreneurship instead of entrepreneurship. So innovation within the industry, so within hospitality. And what fascinates me personally um, are the ideas of emerging innovators uh, making positive changes for the planet and through their business in particular. Hence the concept of eco startups. Um, and there are obviously the likes of Six Senses that everybody knows who implemented the sustainability program years ago and have taken it to another level now and have actually taken the lead in this regard when it comes to hotel management. What changes or innovations have you seen as standard bearer within the industry in recent years? And what do you feel perhaps still needs to be done? Um, I think one of the things that I enjoy about being a member of Regenerative Travel and working with the, the hoteliers there is I'm a child of the 80s and, you know, big was better and multinational. And, you know, I remember when cities began to shift and you would go to Paris and you would see the same shops as you see in London. Um, and that has kind of, I think, really exploded and in, certainly in the hospitality industry I mean you've just mentioned six senses of course the hospitality industry is full of huge international brands although it is you could consider it to be a step back um, moving away from these big multinationals but one of the things I really like about regenerative are all of these independent hotels that maybe they're one or two um, but most of them are just one and the owners there or the managers are really empowered to run them and I really find exciting now the movement of small businesses 
banding together and using economies of scale to take some of the positive things from multinational business. So to say, okay, look, let's have a set of standards that apply across all of our properties, even though they're all independent. Let's pool our resources and hire a marketing person or a PR person so that we can actually get somebody who's who's world class instead of all of us spending our kind of two pounds fifty um, and muddling through. Uh, let's use our brand to reassure travelers that if they're staying in one of these hotels and they see this regenerative travel tag they know what they're going to get because of course one of the things about multinational brands or chains is of course reassurance to the consumer what i'm really enjoying now is seeing small businesses uh, pick and choose the positive sides of chain business but actually apply it to what i consider to still be preferable which are small businesses that are flexible. I think we saw in, in the crisis last year, a lot of small businesses actually were able to pivot, uh, make quick decisions, uh, immediately reduce uh, cash expenditure. And I think, I think in that sense, it's a step backwards because it's a step toward, you know, back to smaller businesses, a step back towards independence, but also, okay, we've seen what works in big business and we've seen what we like about it, standards, control, reassurance for the consumer. So let's take that. Let's not run away hiding from it. Um, and that, as Standard Bearer, is, you know, for me, I'm really lucky because I get to look into all these little hotels and speak to the owners and the decision makers and learn about the things that they're doing. And then I get to share them with the wider community. And, and that, for me, is innovation applied at scale and the sharing of best practice. And that's what I, it gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I love that. And actually, I find that particularly relevant to um, nonprofit charity organizations as well when you look at uh, I'm, I'm I'm part of a different group, which I won't mention on here, but they they basically focus on island innovation, and they're really fascinating because they come up with specific concepts that uh, are relevant to their island, their nation, uh, that benefits in some way their local economy, uh, their tourism aspects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then each of those islands does exactly that shares the ideas, shares the thoughts, does it work for your island, perhaps it works for mine, and the aspect of doing that for small businesses as well, and smaller eco, let's call them eco hotels, um, or boutique hotels, is is really what it's all about for me uh, as well, so I really share that sentiment, um, and I think sometimes taking a step back is not such a bad thing, I think we're trying to take so many steps forward at such a mm. fast space that sometimes slowing things down which to a certain extent um, the pandemic has forced us to do has also given us a sort of different uh, perspective on on how we run businesses how we travel how we think about things and made us more conscious as a traveler and as individuals so uh, love that so since we've touched on the pandemic let's quickly run through how uh, potentially COVID has impacted your operations and growth. And um, since, you know, it's it's still unfolding, we are seeing the changes now yeah. in travelers and how they're thinking about travel. How have you seen a change potentially within your own circle, with friends, with clients and guests in terms of how they travel and if they're becoming more conscious? Um, 
It's a really interesting question. And I think that, you know, there can be no one answer. Um, and, and we have a tendency sometimes, I think, to sit in our own echo chamber and go, well, you know, everybody that I speak to is saying this, and therefore this is what is true. Observing uh, the reawakening of tourism on my island and in my city as we reopened post-pandemic, one of the things that we saw that was a huge shift that nobody could explain was the huge increase in African-American travellers as a percentage of overall tourists in Cartagena. And I haven't spoken to anybody who's got an answer for, for, for why that is. Um, I've spoken to a lot of my African-American clients and I've asked, you know, why here, why now? And I've had answers from, well, we're choosing destinations um, where we feel comfortable that the money will be falling into African hands or Afro-Colombian hands. So we're choosing destinations where we know that the communities have are black or have African heritage rather than going to a predominantly white community. That was one answer which made a lot of sense. Um, I had another answer from uh, a girl who's an influencer for single black female travelers. And she said, for the first time in my life, I've realized that the world is a safe place for people like me to travel alone. And so I'm making a point of doing it now. Um, I mean, there's been lots of anecdotal kind of explanations, but I honestly couldn't tell you what the phenomenon is. And I've seen that as being a far bigger shift than the one question that everybody is asking in my world, which is, do you think that travelers are more conscious now? I think, of course, travelers are more conscious now, because, of course, we have to be conscious to leave the house. I mean, we're putting on masks, we're taking tests, we're checking whether or not countries are on lists. So the question is really, I think when people say, are, are travellers more conscious, it's what are they being more conscious about? Um, and the answer is different for everybody. And I've, you know, for, with my African-American clients, they are being more conscious about their right to exist and travel and enjoy and speak and say things to us like, by the way, you could put more black people in your Instagram as clients so that we pick your businesses. Whereas for my white American New Yorker, perhaps they're not traveling because they still feel consciously that it's an irresponsible thing to do. Um, and they're nervous about bringing COVID into a community where they don't think it's welcome. Um, to my environmentally conscious peers who are trying to avoid flying or feel that they need to minimize their carbon footprints, to you know the guys I know in Cartagena who are saying actually I'm beginning to ask questions about the origins of the meat I'm eating or the origins of the fish that I'm eating so I think everybody has stopped we were all stopped in our tracks and as we restart it's natural that we ask questions but I wouldn't say that everybody's asking the same questions I also don't think that that's problematic and I think I'm privileged to sit you know in one place and have the world come and visit me and each person talks to me about the question they're asking themselves. And that makes me more aware and I think more compassionate um, and, and enables me to maybe listen outside of my own echo chamber. Because yes, when I speak with people like you, or when I speak to the, the other hoteliers of regenerative travel, or when I attend a summit that's all about sustainability, we do talk about, you know, people more aware of supply chain management, and are they more aware of their carbon footprint? And are they, are they more aware of spending longer in the destination? Um, yeah, sure. Some of them are, but uh, I've also spoken to clients. So this is the first time that I've traveled and felt like I have a right to be traveling and I have a right to stay in a nice place and feel like a boss or feel like a queen and spend my money and enjoy it and not feel embarrassed about it. And that, that is equally valid. Um, yeah. 
So really yeah, valid maybe. and equally rewarding. I mean, I think it's fascinating that you have that access to so many, because that's what it is. I mean, we keep saying travelers or storytellers, right? So uh, you as a business owner receive so many guests with so many different backgrounds and so many stories to share. You get to implement their feedback and, and their perspective back into your business and keep growing that way, which, you know, I think is, is an opportunity in itself. Yes, I mean, our clients are our, are our biggest teachers um, and they keep us on our toes as well. So uh, I think that's and that's probably, you know, why those of us who work in hospitality, why we do it is, is that kind of interaction with with the people that you didn't know that you needed to meet before you met them. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not one of those people, I think, who would ever say, oh, you know, post pandemic, I'd never want to go back into an office. I definitely would want to go back into the office. I'm just also very lucky that my office is a beach. <laughs> oh, remind us. <laughs> just had to throw it in there. <laughs> it's okay. It just reminded me that before we came on recording, I was looking at your website, which is fantastic, by the way. So I just put it out there. If anyone wants to go and have a look at the website, it's great. And it makes you very envious and planning my next travel probably to Colombia now instead of anywhere else. <laughs> so um, you touched on the fact that regenerative travel has a summit every year, which is kind of where I was introduced to you as a speaker. And I found you fascinating last year, and I find you equally fascinating this year. So <laughs> Um, this year it was particularly harnessing the concept of travel to regenerate community and place and honoring that in itself um it's been very interesting to hear the different perspectives from around the world what are your personal thoughts on the importance of community in regenerative efforts i mean you've touched on it already but i know that you implement that quite heavily in in your business so um, and that's really something that I, I never set out to do. Um, so I, I, you know, I didn't arrive and say, I'm going to open this business and it's going to be this, you know, magical member of the community. I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was overtly community minded, but I think it's very strange to exist in a world where you are not part of a community. And I think that probably one of the great illnesses of the West is that we can live in these very anti-community, isolated lifestyles where we don't know our neighbours and the only shops we go to are owned by faceless shareholders and we never really get to see who's behind them. And we have our online communities, <coughs> excuse me, we have our online communities, we have perhaps our, our families and our friends who are scattered across the globe and that's lovely. But I think we can have this we lack sometimes, and certainly I did at the minute and a half that I lasted in London, um, <clears throat> this sense of immediate neighborhood. And when you look at the way that nature works, um, and you know, as much as we like to deny it, we are a part of nature. You know, nature doesn't work in monocultures. It, it grows species grow alongside within one another. I'm reading this book on which I'll tell anyone bore anyone about on fungi at the moment. Um, entangled life which is just mind-blowing um, and it talks about how essentially fungi mushrooms connect everything but but nothing in nature exists in its own vacuum uh, and so it only makes sense that humans would thrive when we are also part of an ecosystem and a community and that doesn't mean just hanging out with our best mates and talking to people who agree with us actually hmm. um, there are species that exist and need each other to exist in nature that 
that kill each other and 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 strangle each other and poison each other and it is the result of that uh, that that enables nature to to continue and to thrive and i think that is what community is to me um and when blue apple opened we became a part of a community on an island and some members of that community welcomed us with open arms and some members of that community were hostile and as a business we've had our ups and we've had our downs and and I was so pleased to come out of the pandemic and actually have the head of the village council come to me and say you know what the pandemic really made us realize that you are one of us you know and and blue apple does have its space here and we saw when you were closed you know the absence and so we're totally committed to helping you in the future but i also don't begrudge the times when it's been difficult and when we've had disagreements and and you know we've rowed over everything from whether or not blue apple really should be paying for a for a hospital in the village or whether that should be something that the government provides um you know as to whether or not we should only be employing people from the village even if we can't find the skill set there mm-hmm. but those conversations enable me to grow and I don't think we are meant to live in environments where everybody agrees with us and where everything is a friendship and everything is easy. Um and I think a rich community is one in which you are challenged and you grow and you help others to grow around you. Uh and that's what I really love about Colombia. It's a very community-minded country. Um people live with their families for longer. I know all of my neighbors. Uh everybody's kind of in my business, but you know, that's nice. <laughs> uh even when it drives me crazy. And and so I try to sort of replicate that in your own business and then obviously in regenerative travel we built what we call a community and we're all different. Hoteliers all over the world, different ages, different backgrounds, um different nationalities, different skin colors, different political persuasions, different opinions on what we should be doing post covid. different ways of running our businesses different priorities when it comes to regeneration am i more focused on human equality am i more focused on eco conservation mm-hmm. and it is those differences which make our community so rich and i think have enabled it to thrive even in the most challenging of conditions for us yeah i love that and i love that answer because up until recently i've always been um the type of person to run away from confrontation and this year i've forced myself to have what a, a friend of mine calls difficult conversations with people and actually you come out of it a more knowledgeable person um a more informed person a more open-minded person and i don't think any of us honestly as you say can thrive without that interconnectedness um both through community and nature um so love that answer and also something that i i really enjoyed from the summit and and it's something that i hadn't thought about before was uh, a lady i think book writer julia watson i think her name was she's just written a book called lotex so you just mentioned your <laughs> favorite book um and my it's not my favorite book but it's definitely my next book um will be to read lotex and tech signifying like traditional ecological knowledge and i love the concept of going back to the roots of multi-generational knowledge and uh, innovation through indigenous innovation even because how we first started was ba- we were, we've been innovators since we began basically um and how we continue that in a more uh, respectful way to our surroundings is something that i i look forward to i really hope that we can continue this in terms of respecting what came before us what's around us now and you know how we're going to hopefully regenerate that in the future 
So as a last and final, well, kind of a last and final question, because then I have a quick fire round for you. Final question for you. As an entrepreneur, hotelier and traveler, what do you think your next steps or what are your next steps in life and in business? I mean, that would have been a difficult question to have answered in January 2020. And I think the rest of 2020 (laughs) has reminded me that we probably can never answer that question. I've just opened a new business um, on the island near Blue Apple. So my immediate next steps are to get that up and running and really turn that into kind of a flagship for everything that I have learned and that I think I stand for um, in hospitality. And then I would like to say 2022, just to kind of take a breath, actually, because um, since moving to Colombia in 2015, I, I opened, I've basically opened a business or a nonprofit every single year. Uh, until 2020 and then 2020 obviously I was surviving Um, and 2021 has been kind of still surviving and also building a new business and also rebuilding old businesses Um, at the same time as having lots of difficult conversations as your friend puts them um, and learning and and really questioning why we do what we do and I think I'd like in 2022 to kind of stand still for a minute we'll see how that goes because it's not in my nature uh, Mm -hmm. to do that i have a tendency to then immediately shriek, I'm bored. Uh, But I think I would like to take stock and, you know, who knows, maybe even focus on my personal life. Heaven forbid. Why not? Do we get a sneak peek into what this new business is or? Yes. So it's um, very small, very um, humble. Uh, It's, I call it a beach shack, uh, chiringuito in Spanish. Um, And it's actually something that was on my mind before the pandemic. I've noticed in Cartagena, which is a city that has a lot of high-end tourism, that a lot of members of staff are now learning and becoming accustomed to excellent food, providing a high quality of service, really lovely uh, um, amenities in the places that they work. And then on their days off, aren't able, their salary doesn't enable them to go to those places on their day off. Um, But then if they go somewhere that's within their means, it tends to be, you know, really bad service or the quality of food is just not there. Um, The ingredients that are being used in the kitchen are certainly not sustainable and and often not even even good. And I noticed with my own team that they were coming to Blue Apple on their day off and they bring their families there and we have a staff discount. But I kind of really felt like it would be nice to make a place for people who are earning local salaries to enjoy some of what foreign tourists enjoy or very affluent Colombians enjoy when they come to our places. Um, So we started Amare um, on the same island and we use the same supplies in our kitchen as we do at Blue Apple. We use the same supply chain assessment tool. We pay the same salaries. So working there is not less than working in Blue Apple or working in townhouse, Uh, but we operate everything in total at around 50 to 60 percent of the cost as a, as a client so you're paying a lot less now of course that means that the profit is less um but that was kind of my way of, <clears throat> of looking at a new way of running a business and something that's really focused on the local community i do have a hope in the back of my mind that if enough colombians go there and it becomes a local hotspot then of course the tourists will eventually follow uh but yes primarily amari is there to give something back to the team who work for us, who have made us successful uh, because they deserve a really nice day off as well. So they do, absolutely. So before we end, quick fire round for you. I always do this. Do you have a favorite destination and why? And you can't say Colombia because obviously that's a given. No, um, I 
definitely don't have a favorite destination because I, well, I haven't seen them all. Um, I've lived in Japan and I do think that everybody should go there at least once because it's mad and wonderful. But I do have a favorite uh, travel experience. Um, and that was something that I did seven years ago with my father. We walked the Camino Santiago de Compostela. Wow. Uh, and we chose to do the northern route, which is one of the ones that people don't do. So everyone does the Camino Frances, the French way. Mm-hmm. And we did the northern way, which goes through the Basque country. And we walked for three weeks. And I think we walked something like 500 miles. I mean, it was insane. And it was an amazing experience for lots of reasons. Firstly, the possibility of spending that much time with a parent as an adult, something we don't often do. Wearing the same clothes every day, not having to think about that, not touching my mobile phone for the whole trip. And living on 10 euros a day and eating some of the foods that I think I will most remember. Fresh figs from trees as we pass them charcuterie that we bought from little butchers on our way and eating in the porches of churches that were 500 years old and I think that's an experience that is regenerative it's responsible it's accessible um, to people from all walks of life and and that is something that I I will carry with me forever I think it's probably very regenerative for your soul as well I would imagine very, yes yeah and so, I should say that we're not religious, so it was. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't. It wasn't lots of hail marys. Fair enough. So thank you, Borja, for joining us today and sparing some time to tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey and what lies ahead for you. If people would like to come and visit your beautiful Blue Apple Beach or other boutique hotels in Colombia, where can they reach you? What's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Um, or visit your website. Question. Yeah, I would say just, um, just actually, I have a website which is mansanaasul.co, um, and there is a link there to my personal email. So, and you can see a bit about all the businesses there. So, I would say just fill in the form on that website. And I do actually always, I was just thinking, I was going through WhatsApp, Instagram, LinkedIn, <laughs> but that's the one that I do always check. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put the links to the websites um, in the show notes. And so, if anyone wants to get in touch or visit you, it will be there so thanks again Portia I really appreciate your time and um, I know you're in the UK at the moment so safe travels back to Colombia and I look thank you very much indeed I look forward to everything that lies ahead for you thanks and I hope to see you in Colombia next time absolutely I'll be there good luck with uh with this series I think it's a really lovely initiative thank you take care well, I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed speaking with Portia today. Um, so I hope you enjoyed listening. I've been wanting to have her on as a guest for a long time. So I'm very grateful to her for sparing some time out of her very busy schedule to talk to us. Um, we literally only just skimmed the surface today of regenerative travel, the future of tourism, and how basically the industry has the opportunity now to reshape um, the sector in a positive, impactful way. So if you have any feedback or comments or want to join the discussion, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Also, if you like what you hear, subscribe, stay tuned. Until next time. (music) 